Hello, everyone. Welcome to Living Beyond Limits with Ian Robertson. I want to continue our discussion that we've had on post-traumatic growth. As I began to think about this with the, the other topics we've discussed, especially the nervous system and talking about the role that the nervous system plays and the other areas of mindfulness practices, activation, and the things that can help in, in the direction towards um, healing and even as we would say, growth. I reflected a little bit also on uh, the role that neuroplasticity plays in restoring the brain. It's actually incredible because what the brain can do is it has a capacity to be able to shift and rewire itself. In the words of Shat Helmster, a PhD, he stated, you are creating at this moment the person you're going to become tomorrow. And you're physically rewiring that person into your brain. What we do know is that the brain has capacity to begin to restore and repair itself. When we look at kids and the development of children's brains, 7,500 connections are actually started in the brain of an infant. By the age of two, the brain's neurons have more than doubled in numbers. And then these connections start to prune away as a child grows up and starts forming their patterns of connection. There are so many different types of um, neuroplasticities that occur in, in children. Specifically, there are four main ones that have been identified. There's an adaptive, an impaired, an excessive, and a plasticity that makes the brain kind of more vulnerable to injury. Adaptive, we know, is a change that occurs when children practice a special skill that allows the brain to adapt to functional and basically structural changes in the brain. Being able to adapt and also um, develop some skills that the brain starts to kind of understand and it starts to adapt and function and build the structure so that these skills can be um, achieved, maintained, um, and, and also enhanced. Then we know that there's an impaired uh, component to neuroplasticity in children, which change occurs due to genetic or acquired disorders. Um, so things that may actually get in the way of, of the development, which is more organic. And then there is another component of neuroplasticity in children, which is viewed as excessive. It is the reorganization of new maladaptive pathways that can cause disability and disorder. And that also impacts how the, how the neurons and, and the development of the brain is, is organized but through maladaptive pathways. And then plasticity that makes the brain vulnerable to injuries. These are harmful neural path, uh, pathways which are formed that make injury more likely and more um, impactful. And so we also can think about how the environment and genetics and many other roles play a part in the de development of the brain's neuroplasticity. There are two hundred billion neurons that make up an individual and these components that the brain um, includes is the intellect the personality the cognitive functioning the motor activities and dreams and so many other parts of the subconscious brain what we also understand is there's a form of a feedback loop your brain grows and changes based on feedback so what you tell it changes it so how the brain 
understand is given information, the brain also adapts to the information that it's given in a feedback loop. So its beginnings, um, we may think about miracles were kind of uh, occurring in a non-redeemable injury world. And suddenly the inability to speak from a brain um, stroke injury or one would like or one would think that this all arises from the brain and the brain would be destroyed but what we do know is there there are miracles that that occur when the brain has been impacted by an injury and the brain is able to kind of um it has the ability to have somewhat of a kind of a backup system that that is able to function so if we think about uh, for for example, uh, you know things such as speech and other functions, they can be employed by other parts of the brain, and other parts of the brain can relearn areas of the brain that were uh, impacted by some forms of injury. So what we also understand is that through nerve cell generations, uh, which are called kind of neuron genesis, new patterns can be formed uh, to perform old patterns. Uh, using kind of new pattern ways, for example, like people who've had major damage, uh, uh, for example, from strokes or whatever, can learn to walk again through these new avenues of nerve connection. So, you know, you know, we can consider that people can learn new ways to remember old methods and information. These processes are called kind of neuroplasticity. So the brain does have some incredible uh, abilities to, to, to kind of function and restore itself. Well, we also understand that in structural neuroplasticity, um, in which it, it's it's a perspective or viewpoint that that kind of states that um, connections can be strengthened between neurons or synapses. And then there's also a viewpoint of functional uh, neuroplasticity, which describes the permanent changes of the synapses due to uh, learning and development. So, kind of over time and and structurally. Here's the thing with trauma. One could speculate that uh, the process opens up the possibility to reinvent yourself and move away from the status quo or to overcome post-traumatic events that evoke anxiety and stress and hardwired fear-based memories, which often lead to avoidant behaviors and fear responses uh, that can hold you back from living your life to the fullest. This is a quote by Christopher Berland in 2017. Listen, there's some benefits to neuroplasticity on the brain. So recovery uh, from the brain, brain traumas and exposures is like strokes. Recovery from brain trauma injuries um, shows us that the brain can repair as per uh, acquired brain injuries. The ability to rewire functions of the brain. Um, other areas of the brain can pick up the slack for damaged areas. So losing function in one area may enhance functioning in another area of the brain. Um, so if one, you know, if one sense is lost, then the other may become even heightened. So the brain has the ability to enhance abilities, wide ranges of enhanced cognitive abilities can be also relearned in different areas and more effective learning can be developed by different parts of the brain when one area or the other has been impacted. So what we do know is there's psychoneuroplasticity, which is what we're really talking about in terms of, of post-traumatic growth. These same principles can serve to generate kind of new pathways for emotional mental functioning, like, for example, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, and even we do understand within addictions.
So there are so many um, very interesting ways that the brain has the ability to kind of um, understand and change. So if we think about the roles of, of neuroplasticity, I mean, when we think back as far back as, as uh, Sigmund Freud, you know, his psychoanalytic research identified uh, mythical brain powers based on clients who suffered from trauma and their associated behavior patterns. Um, the first that he identified was these dissociative effects uh, that were directly linked to childhood abuse, which he would call double consciousness, which today we understand to be, um, you know, uh, dissociative disorders. So the neurochemistry research, uh, what we also understand in psychoneuroplasticity, has explored the neurotransmitters uh, in labs and their correlations to the mind state and changes in the brain fluid from neurological patterns. And this research has excited the medical world. You know, pills, medications became an inexpensive option uh, as per talk therapy. However, to a large extent, most of the pharmacological remedies haven't been particularly overly successful based on, on changing brain patterns. And that's key, um, you know, in terms of actually shifting how the brain actually um, patterns its behavior and functions and aligns up with this pathway. So they have kind of numbed the person from reacting to kind of surges and pathological anxieties and depressions or, or stimulating towards, uh, you know, addictive behaviors, opiates and benzos, running the risk of making one's life uh, experience even worse, potentially for some people, the health issues uh, that have been connected to, to, to kind of just focusing on prescriptions, which I'm not opposed to medications of any type, but um, what it has done is that it's, it's moved away from the possibilities of also looking at neuroplasticity as, as kind of an option uh, to explore how we think about shifting our brain. So, you know, there's reactions after a traumatic exposure, you know, including PTSD, depression, substance abuse, and anxiety. And, you know, many of these uh, typical symptoms can overlap uh, in in the, in the DSM. So, I mean, it does uh, kind of create a little bit of confusion. So, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting in just kind of looking at, um, you know, trauma just from a DSM perspective, as compared to also looking at it from, a, you know, psychoneuroplasticity, is there's a thing called polythetic criteria you know, in terms of how we look at the, the subcategories of a diagnosis, you know, within trauma, there is 79,794 possible ways to have a diagnosis of PTSD, uh, which has been, you know, kind of identified in the research through the DSM. And so there have been an increased addition of new uh, PTSD symptoms resulting from even more possible different combinations within its own diagnosis. So it kind of leads to a lot of significant clinical challenges in the treatment of PTSD um, with so many different combinations of possibilities to the diagnosis. So I think as we look and, and going forward, so, so what do we really do that's kind of helpful, um, you know, in understanding what the brain actually does? Uh, I think as we start to look at the, the realities of, of how can we actually retrain our brain? So we need to think about positive reinforcement and attention. And, and the first thing is what, what feedbacks into our brain will also create patterning in our brain. Uh, you need to enjoy what you're doing in order to establish a brain shift. And that enjoyment can be defined as, you know, psychologically as, as positive reinforcement. The brain needs 
to experience joy and happiness in making these changes uh, within itself or in its own structures be fully integrated into a kind of a system. Pleasurable experiences, we do understand, create positive reinforcement and cause the brain to open up uh, to integrating new desired kind of learnings. What's kind of exciting in this field is that um, kind of enriched and mentally thriving environments saturated with, you know, uh, novelties and post, you know, uh, focused attention and challenge are, are, are kind of looking at the, the possibilities of, of, of um, provoking growth and positive adaptation um, after a critically learning period of early childhood and kind of within um, young adults. So, so we, we do know that there's exciting things. Uh, for example, newborns, uh, with their, their neurons at eight weeks old and older neurons are at the same level of maturations as, as, as few as 10 one hour sessions of cognitive behavioral training uh, for five or six um, weeks have the potential to reverse uh, the same amount of age-related decline that has been observed in that same period. So physically, another thing like physical activation and good physical uh, fitness can prevent the slowing down of the normal aging related neural death uh, that occurs in the brain, especially in the hippocampus. Uh, and while it can actually not only reduce it, it might in fact increase the volume of that growth in the hippocampus. So intermittent fasting, which is quite interesting, also has been uh, shown to promote um, adaptive responses and synapses. So for, you know, when we're looking at calorie restriction, fasting, it is, it's, it's, it's demonstrated that it actually increases synaptic plasticity and it promotes neuron growth or neuron genesis and decreases the risk of neurodegenerative uh, kind of diseases. Chronic insomnia is associated with atrophy, neural kind of death and damage in the hippocampus while proper sleep enhances neurogenesis. So, you know, where we have sleep challenges, this actually significantly impacts the brain, the hippocampus, but we also know that um, sleep plays a key role in kind of shifting this. So when we think about the, the piece, you know, what, what brings up the most pleasure um, kind of will be getting our attention. And it's kind of one of uh, Freud's pleasurable principle theories that he has. Neurons connect different spots of the brain to each other, kind of like a telephone circuit. And only the happy conversations remain plugged in. So with 200 billion neurons connections, um, they may be organized into pathways uh, like rivers of, of kind of neuron um, uh, charges that are interwoven and they integrate. The more, the more kind of strength they have, the more power they have, and the more power they have, the more difficult it is to kind of redirect these neurons. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit of, it can be a bit of a slippery slope too. When neurons are not used, um, they connect to something else that will use them. So it's not, they just disappear. They just go find another place to connect into. They do not die from disuse, but they instead attach to the highest bitter, uh, the, the highest bitter neuron, which leads to the pleasure center of the brain. So if the highest bitter, which is, you know, in, in we look at trauma and, and specifically addictions, if the highest bigger bitter is kind of drugs, um, then that provides the high stimulation. Well, it will be the winner. So these neurons will find ways if they're not being used to connect. 
this will cause kind of a direct association between the nucleus accumbent and the forebrain and heightening the immediacy for kind of gratification and automatically rewiring the brain into the deeper region of the amygdala. So intense memories are associated with kind of substances, uh, and, you know, and substance use are linked into the emotional parts of the brain center and the amygdala, and they're you know, constantly looping, especially every time emotions arise by association. So our brain can very easily be hardwired. Um, and, 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 you know, if we're not aware of substances, which is very prevalent in the world of trauma, um, the brain can very much become motivated and geared towards that. Um, so when, when continuing, um, you know, when we're, we're looking at how do we actually shift this brain? How do we get this brain to kind of rewire and kind of do some things that will be actually a little bit more um, positive and, and, and moving it in the direction of healing, right? So the process of dispersion or disruption kind of must take place uh, in our nervous patterns to kind of almost assimilating new information. So breaking neuro neurological habits are kind of difficult to break. And so if we're looking at post-traumatic growth, um, it's, it's really about how do we start to shift our patterns? And so we have to disrupt our brain and shift it into kind of alter states of consciousness and practice where your conscious awareness of reality kind of is deviated um, subjectively or physiologically. So we need to shift our imagery, our ideations, our fantasies. We start to kind of make some shifting uh, moves. Generally, disruptive shifts lead to preferred thinking patterns or habits. So we actually do have to kind of feedback and shift it into uh, more positive, optimistic, um, gratitude, all these types of different patterns, which may not be what the brain's used to doing, but shifting it by in intentionally kind of becoming aware and, and feedbacking and looping that does actually rewire the brain. The brain is sensitive to external rhythmic vibrations of any kind. So the brain can also um, be driven by, you know, intentions of um, altering neural functioning, such as drumming and rhythms and stimulations and these types of um, kind of uh, tone sounds and, 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 and inputs meditation, right? So nutritional power matters, you know, uh, as much as we don't realize that there is a connection between gut, gut and the brain. So, you know, food plays a huge role in the molecular system and the mechanisms that maintain kind of mental functioning. So I do want to put out there that diet matters, um, uh, diet affects neurotransmitters pathways, the synaptist transmissions, membrane fluidity, and, and, and diet also plays a role in, in signal transduction pathways. So it is a super important part of how our brain operates and functions. So set, you know, the research kind of states that suggestive foods, including high protein, good fats, low carbs, very little sugar support brain health. Uh, diets that are rich in kind of omega-3 fatty acids, which are um, the kind of the normal constituents of the cell membrane, are, are essential for the brain's functioning. So supporting these cognitive processes by maintaining synaptic kind of functioning and plasticity um, protects neuron death. So, the, you know, fat plays a key important role in this and, it's, and, it, and it supports kind of the cell brain kind of functioning. Omega-3 food sources might include things such as fish and salmon, flax seeds, chai, kiwi fruits, peanut butter, walnut, these types of things. Physical exercise really also matters too. Um, 
Physical exercise improves learning, memory, protection of neurogenesis, causing the brain to actually kind of produce um, more neurons and birthing new cells. Alleviation, it plays a role in kind of alleviating depression and neural um, transmission. So, so if we think about physical exercise, the, the brain not only heals, but the brain actually gets stimulated, right? So exercise releases chemicals in the brain called neurotrophic factors, uh, you know, brain-derived neurotrophic factors. So BD, uh, BDNF uh, and, uh, you know, BDMF rewires the brain's memory circuits and stimulation and stimulates kind of neurogenesis and kind of again reproduces more neurons exercise increases synaptic plasticity and increases vascular and metabolic metabolic functioning in the brain in addition exercise reduces peripheral risk factors such as diabetes hypertension and cardiovascular disease and which kind of converge and cause the brain to dysfunction and, and it also kind of promotes neurodegeneration in the brain so physical exercise is really important. Physical exercise also affects dopamine, you know, adrenaline and serotonin is proven to reduce depression, anxiety while improving coping skills. So get moving. Um, running is rewiring um, your brain. Uh, running is reward of, of, of um, your natural antidepressants, but any exercise that you do that can kind of get your heart up is probably very helpful. Meditation, neuroplasticity, two main factors, you know, meditation helps with focus attention, FA, and also open monitoring, OM. These two styles of meditation, uh, they, they kind of require different attentional and cognitive monitoring and awareness. Um, but what we do know, according to Sky's research in 2010, um, recent studies have found evidence of functional and structural changes in the brain following meditation practices, indicating that meditation harnesses the brain's inherent ability to change um, in response to experiences. So meditation is really helpful in rewiring the brain. Um, one study has been linked between kind of novice meditators and Buddhist monks. Novice meditators had a slight increase in high frequency and brain activity. Buddhist monks showed a dramatic increase in the gamma waves and the underlying high, higher mental activity, such as deeper consciousness. So meditation is correlated to kind of controlling the heart and the respiratory rhythms and influencing um, and strongly influence the immune system, alertness, sleep, and sleep quality. So it plays a really important role with meditation. Your brain is effectively being rewired as your feelings and your thoughts more towards more kind of pleasant uh, outlooks. Your brain is also transforming, making this way of thought more kind of a default. So the more your brain changes from meditation uh, or changes from meditation, the more you react every, in your everyday life in that same sense of calm, compassion, and awareness. Super important when we think about post-traumatic growth. So biofeedback also has been quite helpful. Uh, neurofeedback is, is particularly helpful. Neurofeedback enables individuals to learn how to change their um, physiological activity and performance. Neurofeedback exercises and techniques uh, teaches individuals how to control their breathing and their thoughts. It improves coherence, which is kind of the connection between the heart and the lungs and that kind of rhythm of regulation between respiratory sinus arrhythmia and uh, how the, the, the rhythm of the heart and the lungs connect, improves neurogenesis and synapgenesis. It, it actually strengthens heart rate variability so that your heart rate beats and oscillates with breathing rates, which actually slow the nervous system down. Heart rate variability increases 
uh, specific brands of brain activity. You know, individuals can learn to uh, decrease synaptic um, arousal, enhance interior uh, clingulate activity. So areas of the brain associated with emotions and the modulations of body arouse. So H heart rate variability has been found to be effective in reducing depression symptoms, anxiety. It's been effective in strengthening emotional modulation and attention. So overall helpful in managing kind of um, urges and cravings you may have. You might use er, uh, surf or whatever. Uh, heart rate uh, variability also in biofeedback stimulate, uh, you know, kind of a, a burial uh, reflective response, which the body's homeostatic mechanism, which helps maintain blood pressure um, at almost a nearly constant level supports reflective um, neuroplasticity and growth. So what are some good activities? Intermittent fasting is super helpful. Traveling, expose your brain to new stimuli and new environments that open up kind of the brain's pathways using uh, mnemonic devices to help train or aid your brain. Uh, tricks, you know, tricks and devices can enhance connectivity of the prefrontal brainal uh, network of the brain. Um, so certainly helping and learning uh, maybe even learning a musical instrument may, it's been proven that music and, and engaging music helps to uh, the connectivity between the brain's region uh, from one area to a new area and engaging new growth there. Non-dominant hand exercises has been proven to kind of activate the brain. Uh, reading fiction increases the ability of connectivity of the brain, expanding your vocabulary again really works uh, on developing different, you know, your brain memory and your processing and your audio processing. So creating artwork, again, um, enhances connection of the brain um, at rest. It, it, it certainly boosts um, introspection, memory, empathy, attention, and focus. Dance absolutely increases, um, you know, neural uh, connectivity. Sleeping, again, we've talked about has been certainly proven to encourage um, growth and development and connection between neurons and helping to transfer information across cells. So, you know, you know, other things to do, memory tasks and games, learning to juggle, learning to play a new instrument, learning new languages, yoga, um, uh, mild or moderate regular exercise, challenge your brain to do cosmeceuticals, um, learning new subjects. Uh, and again, activating that brain in its development, regular exercise, eating healthy, quit smoking, uh, keep your mind active, engaged and challenged, use relaxation exercises, techniques, dive into some mindful meditation. All of these things have such a profound effect in rewiring and retaining your brain to kind of learn to act and respond differently. And so in saying that, I want to thank everybody who's listened to this podcast today. Um, I hope this was helpful in the journey of post-traumatic growth. And um, we will continue on the next podcast. I'm going to move towards more conversations around post-traumatic growth. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And um, again, this is Ian Robertson from Living Beyond Limits. Thank you very much. Have a great day.